Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best Best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi there, I'm Pam Livingston and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with New Zealand champion Pam Livingston about finding your bridge passion and sharing that passion, why mentorship and access to resources are so important for the future of the game, and neurodiversity in bridge. Plus, she shares her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. How are you, Jocelyn? I'm fine, Catherine. How are you? I'm great. You will be very relieved to know that the website woes that we were dealing with have all been sorted out. Everybody, our website was causing us all sorts of grief and um, I was badgering poor Jocelyn because we were having to make all these decisions and then I was dealing with their technical support for what felt like days on end but it's finally sorted out Jocelyn and I mention it to you now because there was a very interesting bridge outcome as a consequence of this whole back and forth. Really? Because I thought that you were going to just tell everyone that now we have you know relaunched our website. Check it out. Sorry partner.com. <laughs> nice nice plug there. I like it. And we have, and the website's looking great. Very happy about it. And we were assisted by the lovely Enzo, who is based in Peru. This is the help. This is the support. This is the technical support. Technical support. Yes. And as a consequence of liaising with Enzo, Enzo was very interested for me to explain to him what the website was about because he likes podcasts. So I started telling him and then he wanted to know all about Bridge. 
and then sent his email so that I could send him information about how to find out about bridge teachers and bridge clubs in Peru. So if you happen to be based in Peru and are interested in helping Enzo to learn, do do get in touch and we will put you in touch. Yeah, I sent him the links from the World Bridge Federation and, um, yeah, I think we've got a new convert. A convert to the cult. (laughs) Which is so hilarious because it wasn't what I expected at all, but I also thought it was so timely because we're trying to encourage people to play and we're pushing this idea of the more the merrier and asking people to send us in their stories. Yes. So this was very apropos. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. So Enzo in Peru is helping the website tech support is going to become a regular bridge player at his local club and at tournaments. Yeah, I hope so. With any luck. That's fantastic. So yeah, definitely, you know, you can find these recruits in the most unexpected place. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, really is inspiring to think that, you know, if everyone who listens were to teach somebody how to play and bring them to the game, wouldn't that be amazing? That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can do it. I know we can do it. Together, we can. We can. We can. But send us your stories. Send us your stories of encouraging people to play. The more, the merrier. So, Jocelyn, we have a few letters in the mailbag this week. I expect you'd like me to read them to you. (laughs) Well, you would be correct because I love hearing the letters. (laughs) Well, the first one, I think, is of particular interest to you. Not that I'm not interested, but it's right up your street. And I'm curious (laughs) to know what you're going to say about it. It's from Dan in Boca Raton, Florida. Dear Catherine and Jocelyn, my partner and I are irritated by the well-done partner gratuitous congratulations sometimes proffered on lay-down contracts or where one of us has made an error. Ah, ah, yes, Dan, we feel your pain. And I know some people are getting sick of us talking about this. (laughs) Yes, we've heard from you too. (laughs) We've heard from you too. But nevertheless, here we go. Dan and his partner have devised a simple system to compliment one another without gloating on a well-played hand. We merely type an innocuous period in the chat box. Thus, our opponents aren't offended and our partner appreciates the gesture. I love it. You love it? Yeah. Okay. So a coded congratulations is okay. Yeah. All right. I could see adopting that. (laughs) Okay. I don't know if it's going to be the dot, but some kind of, you know, understood message so that nobody has to take offense, Mm. but I can get the word, of course, I guess in between rounds, I can write to my partner. That is the other way, though it is nice, you know, if you have played a hand really well or you've, you know, done something clever. I wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) but it sounds really nice (laughs) you're hilarious ha 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 (laughs) our next letter is from our good friend jim in the chicago area oh hi jim hi jim how you doing jim writes to us my story goes back over 50 years to my college days One day, one of my professors announced that we needed to reschedule the midterm exam. He suggested the following Tuesday. 
I immediately raised my hand and said there was absolutely no way I could do that. And after some discussion, we agreed to a different date. And why was there no way I could do this? Bridge. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The club championship at the campus duplicate bridge club was Monday night and I would be unable to play if I had to study for a Tuesday exam. I guess the bridge gods did not look favorably on my manipulation because via a combination of some poor play and unluckiness, we finished dead last. Uh Uh-oh. But how did he do on the exam? Oh, yeah, good point, Jocelyn. (laughs) Jim, how did you do on the exam? (laughs) Let us know. (laughs) And our next letter is also from a previous letter writer, Diana from Perth in Western Australia on the theme of dummies speaking and not speaking. Ah, le mort parle. (laughs) Ou le mort ne parle. Oui, 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 oui. (laughs) As dummy, I once called the director in a state tournament when there had been a revoke by the opposition and my partner hadn't noticed. I was a new player and had no idea of the protocol. I was promptly told by the opponents, you are dummy and you need to (laughs) shut up. I have never forgotten this. A similar thing happened a few months ago in a club championship where I was dummy. Not only had my left-hand opponent revoked on the heart suit, but he still had four more in his hand. (laughs) Wow, that's special. It was a different kind of heart as far as, you know, it's another suit, different heart. Yeah, that's right, (laughs) the fifth heart suit. When he and my partner showed out of hearts after one round, we were playing in four spades, I promptly took note of the revoke card, which he roughed, but was then over-roughed by my partner. No one noticed except me. I called the director at the end of the board and was told by the guilty party, you were dummy and you noticed these things? <laughs> Lol. I normally switch off when I'm dummy. <laughs> Talk about no one counting out the hands. These were all very experienced players, not beginners. Maybe everyone was tired. The bonus was that we received a plus two on a contract that should have gone off. So, wow, that's a nice outcome, Diana. Yeah. Good job and nice way to... Wait till the end of the hand. Yeah. <laughs> so if you have a fun story about having to rejigger kind of important obligations around bridge or perhaps a gloating workaround or an instance where Le Mort did not parle, please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or tweet us at sorry underline partner or you can send us a voice message these links are in the show notes and on the website at sorrypartner.com along with some other good stuff coming up next our interview with pam livingston and note patreon supporters enjoy ad-free episodes details are on our website new zealand champion pam livingston was introduced to Bridge by a work colleague and has been obsessed with the game ever since. She has represented New Zealand in the open section multiple times and is currently on the New Zealand women's team. She is also a passionate Bridge coach and teacher. We began by asking how she learned to play. It was quite some time ago and I was at work 
and my boss said there's bridge lessons starting at our club this week and I think that you might really like playing bridge. And I had been a card player, my, I'm the youngest of six children, and um, sometimes my brothers and sisters would let me play 500 with them, not that often because I was the pesky little sister, and I've always loved playing cards. So I went along to the bridge lessons and it captured me immediately. And, and in fact, I can remember when I'd been to about five lessons earnestly telling one of the helpers that I think I'm getting the hang of this game now. And all those years later, I'm not sure whether I've got the hang of this game, but yeah, that's how I got started. What was it that your boss understood about you that made made them suggest to you these lessons? Oh, I don't know. I worked at that stage, I worked in IT. I was obviously, and this is a compliment to all the nerds out there, I was obviously a nerd. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But it took straight away. So it sounds like, yes, it really connected with all these games that you'd played before and 500 is also a trick-taking game. Were there bridge players in your family? No, um, no, not at all. And I didn't actually know what the game of bridge was, which was a shame because I think I could have started earlier. So I think I was about, I must have been about 26 when I started. But I can tell you that at my school where we played 500, we often as prefects used to wag assembly um, <laughs> to play five. We could have been playing bridge all that time. <laughs> but, I'd, yeah, I'd never heard of the game until I went along to the lessons. Did your boss continue as well? Uh, yes, he'd been playing for some time, and I believe he still plays. He doesn't live in New Zealand anymore. But, yeah, it hasn't sort of been continuous for me that whole time in a couple of times I was on the verge of flagging it away for various reasons and then both times I was seriously thinking about giving it away something happened and a piece of good luck and I kept I kept playing and it was to do with mentoring from other people uh, so yeah. What were the sorts of things that would make you want to give it up? Well in in both cases I think that I felt that I was limited in what I could learn about the game given the resources that I had at that time. So remember, you youngsters out there, this was before the internet. So when you learnt to play, it was going along to the club once a week. If you wanted to practice bidding, you sort of had to hand deal cards. We don't have all the wonderful tools that we have now. And I'm not really a book reader. It's not a medium that I I learn by. So I did a whole, I did a degree in maths extramurally, and I really found it same thing. I couldn't learn it by reading and then doing. And so the the resources available weren't so good then. And it was, I guess, a frustration that I wasn't going to find out more about this game the way I was going and so I started to lose interest so but gee we've got so many great resources out there now haven't we I relate to what you're saying about learning by reading I can do it if I force myself but I'm one of those people that prefers someone to explain it to me well yes and it's a bit of a learning journey for everyone isn't it discovering what their learning style was and just accepting that 
<laughs> Actually, it's quite funny. I always used to say I would never, ever be able to play online bridge because I feel that I'm quite a tactile person and I need to hold the cards and be at the table and, if you like, feel the vibe. But um, now that we have cameras and microphones, I'm, I find that I I don't actually have to hold the cards, but I do find it much easier to play in a medium where I can see and hear what's going on at the table, and the table looks more like a traditional card table. Yeah, so I've been lucky in that I've had a, a couple of mentors that have helped me out, and I'm definitely a person who learns by doing. So all the time I'm playing, I'm sort of taking note of what my opponent's do and thinking that's a really good thing or that situation causes me a problem I want to cause that same problem for someone else (laughs) yeah (laughs) how did you find these mentors how did they come into your into your life well the first one was a gentleman at our club who was a very good player and um he took a lesson uh at our club for improvers, and I'd only been playing for a year. And he talked about the odds in the game, the odds of the suits breaking and the various card combinations. And to a mathematician like myself, that was music. (laughs) So I guess I took a real interest in what he was saying. And I guess as a younger person, I probably stood out. And he invited me to to play with him at the club, which was quite daunting, but I accepted. And I could remember at the end of the night, he was talking to two other, you know, we're in a group talking to two other very senior members of the club. And he said, oh, you should have seen that end play that Pam did on hand 13. And I thought, what is an end play? I had no idea. So he, he started taking a little group of us Every Sunday night, well, wow, what a what a wonderful thing for him to do. And that just made a huge difference to me. And so in the second mentor, I guess, started off as a mentoring thing and turned into a partnership. I was on the verge of giving up playing bridge. And somebody said, ask someone good from your region to have a game with you. So I plucked up the courage to ask a very good player in our region, Wayne Burrows. I asked him for a game and that ended up in a partnership, quite a long partnership. And we ended up playing for New Zealand in the open team. So my game developed quite a bit in that partnership and I'm and I'm very grateful to to have had that experience. That's really wonderful. Yeah, we worked pretty hard. <laughs> so yeah. Between your experience playing with these two mentors, at what point in all of this did you start to have a feeling that, hey, maybe I'm not bad at this. I've got something here. Well, I'm not sure I have that feeling still because sometimes I think, oh <laughs> How did I make that error? Uh, So I don't know. I've just sort of gone with the flow and had the aim of playing against the best opponents I can find. And I tend to have, in a way, I mean, everybody loves winning, don't get me wrong. But when I go to a tournament, what I'm after is a really good game. 
And so I'm playing against really good opponents and um, I play well. In a way, I don't mind what the result is. I like winning. I like placing well. But I like playing well. And, um, yeah, that's what motivates me, really. It's not so much the honours, but I just like sitting down and having a really good game of bread. (laughs) Yeah. Thinking about one of your regular partners, what would they say is your greatest strength when it comes to being a bridge player? Ooh, um, I guess, I don't know about the technical side, but I think that I have quite a good temperament at the table. I'm not sure what my, my partners would say, but I think that for me, I think I've got a good temperament at the table. So I've trained myself over the years to be impassive about the result on any particular hand. And it's almost embarrassing how well I can forget the hand after it's finished. So I tend not to... Having emotion about the hand is just so very bad for for the next hand. Whether you've done something really well and feeling particularly proud of yourself, that's a good path to a bad board on the next hand. Or feeling, <laughs> or feeling really bad about something that's happened. You know, how many times have you done had something not so good happen on a board and you follow it up immediately by another bad thing? So uh, I can remember one time I was playing against a very good peer, very good peer, and um, I put my cards back in the board and one of them turned to me and said did you have the 10 of spades? And I said, uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I've, I've shelved that hand. And and he turned to my partner and said, is she for real? He says, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say, at the end, I can remember all the hands. I pick up the hand record, I can remember. But if I leave the table for a, a drink and I come back, I can quite often not even remember what the contract was that my partner was in when I left. So that's something I've worked on because I just think storing that, that stuff is just white noise in your head, which, I, you know, I'm not smart enough to hold all that white noise and think about the head in front of me. So, yeah. <laughs> I actually can relate to that. Um, just last night I was playing and I was upset about my lead. I, apparently I don't even remember. And after, after a few hands, my partner said, you know, that didn't matter, that lead. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, and yet you were thinking about it. Yeah. She goes, oh, you don't even remember. Yeah, and I try not to analyze the hand after. Like um, a lot of people will say, oh, well, of course they can make blah, so this is blah. Well, once the hand is over, that is irrelevant to me, like, and sometimes, actually, I don't, mostly when I'm playing in a tournament, I don't even look at the scores. I'll be in a team's match. I'll know basically where we are, but I don't look at the ladder, I said, because this doesn't help me particularly. just want to keep playing the same kind of bridge, really. Yeah. What might that partner say might be a weakness in your game? Okay, well... My partners are way too polite to say this, so I'll tell you what I think my biggest weakness is, is uh, the occasional lack of attention. So that's the thing that I 
really try hard to to work on it's 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 pretty tough isn't it like you play all day and you know you've got to be there you've got to be present for for every hand so if I make a judgment on a line of play or what to bid and it's a sensible thing to do and it's unsuccessful that never worries me. If I've done something, made a sensible decision, then that's fine. But, oh, man, I get very frustrated at myself when I just, a couple of synapses don't connect and, and I do the wrong thing. That's that's frustrating, yeah. Although I try not to think about it at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you try to do to help yourself to concentrate, you know, maybe at the end of a game or at times when you know you might flag? Well... I'm not, I'm not sure what I do. I know that something. I'm a person who really appreciates when partner is fairly quiet at the other side of the table. I like to go in my own world, you know. And it's not unreasonable to want to have a brief talk about what happened. But I really appreciate a fairly silent partner that just smiles and nods, and we get on to the next hand. That really helps me. I find postmortems very distracting. So I guess to come back to your question about what do I do, I just try to stay in my own world at, at the table. I yeah, stay in my own world, I think. And just yeah, the bridge table, the cards, the game, just staying there helps me to concentrate and to not get distracted. Yeah. I I really struggle in a noisy room, I have to say. Would you ever wear earplugs? Uh, I discovered that a couple of years ago and what a difference it, it made to me. I'm thinking about, I'm not sure whether I'd be allowed to wear noise cancelling headphones at a tournament, but I'm thinking that might take me one step further. So with the earplugs, I can hear what's happening at the table, but it cuts out a lot of the background noise. And some tournaments get awfully noisy. Sometimes being distracted by noise is is a sign of a degree of being on some kind of spectrum and many bridge players are on some kind of spectrum. Do you think that that's relevant for you and why you find the noise distracting? Oh, yes, definitely. And um, it, that, that question's a really good one when we look around the room and see who, who plays bridge. And I've learned a little bit about that. I'm actually um, in a in another life. I coach riding for disabilities, and I've really been interesting to learn about the autism spectrum a little bit and how that manifests itself. And I think that I uh, get sensory overload a little bit when I play, and I find that the longer I'm playing the more sensitive to noise and things that I get. And that was quite a learning journey for me. I found that at the end of the day, I would have a thumping headache and and be quite blurry in my thinking. And I thought this was the experience of every bridge player. And it turns out that it's not. So like any sport, um, you work on your weaknesses. And that was one of my weaknesses and trying to problem solve around that because you know you can be the best declarer player in the world which I am not but if you can't focus on the hand then that school's not much use to you so bridge is a sport but definitely and whatever thing you can work on on yourself that 
helps you is worth doing if you're serious about improving. So it's not only practicing all the technical skills, it's all the other things. And I find those other things very fascinating. You were talking earlier about the vibe at the table and enjoying the vibe at the table. And I'm wondering if that's the other side of this issue about sensory awareness. Do you find that you are able to read the table very well, that you're able to use that sensory awareness to have good table feel? Well, certainly when I talk to um, other players, I think that I do. And in fact, I find that the better the opponents, the harder they are to read. And that's also something that I try and work on myself being hard to read uh, about what's going on. But I find at my local club, and I we have a fantastic local club in, in New Plymouth. It's doing very well, lots of lovely people. But I find that um, some of the body language that happens in the subtleties, it's just like they're shouting at me when I play at the club. <laughs> and I find it quite hard. And I kind of want to point these things out to people and I tend not to because I, I don't want to be intimidating. I don't want to um, stop people enjoying their game. But some of the things that happen, just it's like they're shouting at me <laughs> about their head. <laughs> so, yeah. But are you ever able to use it to your advantage, you know, that you're able to see, oh, they've got to have the queen there, they're twitching, <laughs> you know, do you? Are you able to use it in some way? Yeah, uh, definitely. I tend to, um, I tend to find that there's some body body language you learn to ignore because some people, even though it's strictly forbidden, try to mislead you with their body language. But yes, you could sort of tell whether someone's got a good hand or a bad hand, or whether their bid was marginal, or they've really got the goods, or. <laughs> That kind of thing. Yeah, it is definitely a thing. Do you play poker as well? No. Well, I think the expression poker face is completely wrong. It's bridge face, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Because at poker, people do um, use body language and and things to try and deceive each other. Right. And And it's a solo thing too, so... Yeah, no, I think it's definitely bridge face and not poker face. I, I would, my aim is to look the same no matter what I'm holding in my hand. Do you have a favorite tournament that you really love to play? Well, I I like all t- tournaments, but one that I, the reg- a regular one in New Zealand that I really enjoy is our national Swiss peers. Yeah, we generally get big fields and maybe it's one of my favourites because I've been quite successful at that particular tournament. But I, I just really quite enjoy Swiss beers and I know I know that many people don't enjoy Swiss beers. They think it's kind of random, more random or something. But one thing I enjoy about Swiss beers, as opposed to when you're playing a team's match and you have a feel for the strengths of your opponent. So you think, well, they're likely to be bidding this marginal slam or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> In Swiss, you sort of need to have a feel for what the whole tournament is going to be doing. And um, I find that a, a little bit interesting. But I just, I just really enjoy any tournaments, but I am definitely an imps player rather than a match point player. I'm not so keen on match points. I prefer imps. 
I think part of that might be just coming back to sensory overload stuff. I think it might be simply because in pairs tournaments, there's a lot of stopping and starting and moving. And in imps, you tend to sit down for a longer period of time and settle in against an opponent. Maybe that's it. I'm not sure. How do you like to unwind after an intense tournament? Um, unwinding for me, <laughs> I think this is also part of the sensory thing, is I really like to just be by myself. So I like to exercise, walk or whatever. A way that I relax is to watch television. So I guess it's almost distracting my brain from the pressure it's been under because it's not very often you have to think when you're watching television. So that that is my go-to unwind generally. And I would love, I would really love to be more gregarious and want to go out for dinner and socialise because, you know, we make such good friends at Bridge and we don't see them that often except at tournaments. But I find it quite hard to go out for dinner afterwards because it's more noise and more talk and I find that even more tiring as much as I enjoy the company. So my <laughs> one of my uh, bridge playing friends says, oh, that'd be Pam. She'll be sitting by herself alone in the dark. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Of all the interesting places that you've played bridge is there any particular place that stands out for being a little unusual or quirky or unexpected well I think the most interesting experience playing bridge that I've had was it was before the Pacific Asia Championships in Indonesia and it was in a city called Bandung and they had a warm-up event called the Geology Cup and so there was a lot of local players there and 
Bridge is very big in Indonesia. When I went to that tournament, I was very surprised to see television cameras there and the Minister of Sport was there. And it really was quite a big thing compared to New Zealand where it's not seen really as a sport. And I felt like I was a member of the All Blacks at that tournament. But that wasn't the interesting thing. It was that we played in a huge room. There were lots of tables. And there was, uh, you started, if, you know, it was a random draw, if you're at the lower tables, then the cards were hand dealt. So there was no computer dealt hands for these lower tables. So you just, they were just dealt. And then as you moved up, you got computer dealt cards. And then as you moved up further, you were behind screens. Now, I really enjoy playing behind screens, because as you can imagine, the person who sits alone in the dark, (laughs) (laughs) because it's kind of no distractions. But the screens at this particular tournament, there were just kibitzes standing around, like heaps of them around the table, and they were all talking as the game proceeded. Now, I... Assume they weren't um, telling our opponents what cards we were holding because I'm sure they weren't. But there was a, a buzz around the table and uh, it was just a really amazing tournament to see so much enthusiasm and people watching. And yeah, it was really cool. What's the most important aspect of a good partnership that you particularly look for? That is a great question, and, and finding a partner who you are, you have similar aspirations, similar skill level, and that you get get on with on a personal level is quite a, a challenge. Of those three things, I imagine that they hold different importance to different people. So for me, I really appreciate a partner who's quite quiet and... Um, doesn't talk too much during the game. So that compatibility is quite important to me just because it helps. I want to play my best with my partner and for my partner and that quietness helps me to do that. So when you meet a potential new partner, what hoops do you make them jump through to (laughs) to check their compatibility? Well, I I don't know whether you really meet a new partner because, in that sense, because New Zealand is quite a small country and you pretty much know everyone that plays at your level. So you might see how they um, behave at the table. So I have someone that I've started playing with in the last year or so. His name's Graham Tufnell and... He owns the Sky Bridge Club and I've played against him and I thought, I really like your demeanour. And then, I mean, I was doing, I do some teaching as well and we've talked quite a lot about teaching and I like his theories and um, his views on the game. And so when we sat down to play, it was a good, good experience. And I like to be able to talk about the hands at the appropriate time in a way that's not about the person but about the hands and how going forward the partnership can do better. So that's sort of respect and demeanour is really important to me. Now that's not going to be as important to other people. They're going to be much more focused on the skill level or whatever. I'm very lucky I've got a 
my regular partner, uh, Jen Alabesta. She's a great partner, and I've got a couple of other really great partners too. So um, the school level's great, but the compatibility thing is really important to me personally. Have you had any partners previously where maybe one of those elements hasn't been quite right, but you've been able to work on it together and find a way forward? Well, it's a little bit like being married, isn't it? I mean, you can't, you're not going to find the perfect partner. And there are some things that are, that are deal breakers, but you just generally want to work together. And if you, if you work on being a good partner yourself, I think that's helpful and thinking about, okay, what can I do better? But it certainly is, I don't know if it's the right word, but it's quite an intimate thing to do with another person playing bridge. So it's a relationship that needs to be worked on, definitely. Yeah. And a bit of forgiveness is good because we're all human, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) So Pam, you also spend some time teaching bridge. How did you go from being a bridge player to being a bridge teacher? Um, It's not something I I thought would interest me. I had a little bit of a change of direction about four years ago in my career and decided, well, things need to change. And and, uh, it was a good, good move overall. And one of the things I decided was I would like to teach bridge. I would like to share and encourage other players I'm really interested in how to teach bridge. I think we don't cater that well to different learning styles. And, yeah, I've had many, many good conversations with Graham about teaching bridge. And for a while I had an online classroom, and it it was a a great experience on a great platform. But I decided that it wasn't actually for me. I found it too impersonal. Um, So communicating with um, your students, you can't see them. They can ask you questions in the chat. I just felt like I was talking into a blue light and not having a connection. So for me personally, I didn't enjoy that much. But I do do private coaching with individuals and partnerships. And that I really enjoy because you can zone in on an area that to be developed and the person can ask you questions that they want to know. And um, I, I really enjoy doing that and seeing people learn and develop. It's a hard game, isn't it? I know, as I said, I was lucky to have a mentor and I was, it was really good to have somebody to ask, but you don't want to impose on people too much, you know, the good natured expert at your club too much because there's lots of club members. And so I'm there as that person that you can ask and can help you along the way. So I really enjoy that. Who are some of the bridge teachers that have informed the way that you approach teaching? Probably the most influential person, as I said, was Graham because we had really um, great conversations about it. And he gave me a really good piece of advice or made a really good observation one time that's really stuck in my mind. And I think bridge teachers everywhere, I'll share it with you. And that is, he said, Pam, 
I've never come away from a lesson wishing I'd taught more stuff, right? So I think generally too much information is given at one time and people can't process it. So if you can zone in on one thing and cover it quite fully, that's of more use. And a real challenge in that is because bridge players are, you know, they're so curious and it's such a, a huge game that when you're teaching a particular thing, it's very easy to get sidetracked. Well, what happens in this situation? That So I'm fairly strict about saying, you know, that is a great question, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I want to focus on just this one thing because we won't get this covered if we go off on all the tangents. So I thought that was a really good bit of advice because you can't take in that much at, at one time. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened when you were playing bridge? Funniest? Oh, not sure about that. I mean, look, one thing I enjoy is bridge people and they often have a very good sense of humour. So lots of laughs at the table. But I guess one of my most memorable funny hands was in Bandung in the main event that we played there, which was the Open Teams. And to add, add to everything, it was on view graph as well. So lots of people were watching this hand and my opponents bid to seven no trumps. So it was my left-hand opponent and we were playing behind screens and um, he was my screen mate. And he was one of those people who was pretty out there and he liked to bid. So he bid to seven no trumps and his partner who was going to be dummy, had bid both hearts and spades. Now, I was holding King Jack of spades as well as the ace of hearts, and they were in seven no trumps. Now, I knew that Declara had a very long diamond suit that um, they were going to run off, and I said, oh, well, I, I'm going, I doubled seven no trumps. It really asked for a spade lead, which I thought was probably okay, but... My partner led a spade, and sure enough, dummy goes down, and Declara wins with the ace. And he starts reeling off all these diamond tricks. And oh my goodness. Well, it was easy for me to discard because I could see the majors and dummy, and I was discarding afterwards. And so trick by trick it went, and I was throwing out cards, and I was feeling quite sick in my stomach that <laughs> this was going to make because the ace-queen... Jack of clubs was also in dummy in the nine. So ace, queen, jack, nine in dummy. So what happened was that Declara had the stiff king of clubs and had to overtake that with the ace. And it was my partner who won the 13th trick with the 10 of clubs. Oh. <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness. Now, as I said, I try not to be emotional about these hands. But goodness me, I, I felt quite hyped up there and I said, oh, excuse me, I need a bathroom break. <laughs> Off I went. But as the final trick was played, my opponent turned to me and said, well, you're a bit lucky, aren't you? You double seven no chumps and it's your, your partner that takes the setting trick. And there was lots of laughing and and, and things, but oh, it was pretty stressful. Who would have thought just feeding pieces of cardboard could cause so much emotion? <laughs> it is amazing. Yeah. Is there a hot button issue in Bridge that's really important to you? 
Well, I don't know whether it's hot button because it's been something that's puzzled me right from when I started the game. And that is, I'm very puzzled about why there are so few women uh, featuring in the top level at our game internationally. I, I, I just don't know why that is. I suspect you have some ideas about it. So go on, tell us why you think it is. Well, I think about it quite a lot just as a puzzle. Like, for instance, I don't think there's any great um, conspiracy going on to, to keep women out. Mm-hmm. But I but I do think I do think that hmm, how am I going to say? <laughs> I'm just putting disclaimers on. Ev- I want to put disclaimers on everything. It's not a reflection of any woman's player or any. It's not a reflection of anything really. Really, I think that we are geared to expect that the top players will be men, and I think that having a women's division actually encourages that. The women's division, having women in open, sort of says, well, this is where the real bridge is happening and you ladies go and play over there. Until the women's division is cut, that's going to impede. So, yeah. Well, you know, you're not the first person to have expressed some of these ideas on this show, and I think Jocelyn and I probably agree with you. It's just interesting how structures and organisations change and adapt. And I agree. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I don't think anyone's doing this. And there's a lot of people who would enjoy the women's competition because it at least allows them to compete at some kind of high level that they might not be eligible for otherwise. But even that seems to me to be intrinsically unfair all round. I keep pushing this idea that it points to some broader problem about selection and that maybe something fundamental in that way has to change. I mean, the fact that there's girls' competitions in some places just drives me absolutely wild. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing because while I want women to be mentored, I, it sends the wrong message to say that they need a special treatment because they're women. It, it's not a gender game. It's like um, one of my other passions is horses. And equestrian sports is one of the few things where there are no gendered events. So if you're show jumping, your horse goes over the jump where it doesn't. And um, that's all there is to it. And it's the same on bridge. I mean, really, what? <laughs> yeah, you either play well or, or you don't. And um, at least... Yeah, selection and trials is always a hotly debated thing. But having long trials at least gives people the opportunity to prove themselves at the table. Now, when I first trialled for the Open team for New Zealand, it was a six-day trial. Now, I, I said before that I don't read many books. I also don't read many bridge articles. I I actually don't know who who the good players and I don't tend to know people's names and when when I trialed for the New Zealand Open team and this was before there was a mixed team so that was my only option and that's another uh, another interesting subject but I didn't know that women didn't play in the Open team I just knew that I wanted to trial for New Zealand and I went along and did a six-day trial and got in and I've always just gone along and played, and the Open 
is where there are many, many fine women players, but the top competition seems to be in the open section, and therefore that's where I would like to play. Yeah. Do you have a favorite bridge convention or gadget that you love to play? <laughs> well, I think there's a convention that everyone should play, and it's not for any bridge reason. <laughs> I think everyone should play multi-two diamond. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Because a lot of the most spectacular stuff-ups I have seen have been with multi-two diamonds, both whether you're bidding it or your opponents are bidding it, and it makes for great bridge stories. They're the things that get talked about <laughs> at the bar, at the end of play. So, yeah, I'm all for good bridge stories. So let's everyone play multi-two diamonds. Are there any conventions that you really dislike or think are a complete waste of time? Um, there's one that's played locally where, uh, in defence to a one-no-trump opener that two-club just says you've got an opening hand and says nothing about the shape. And um, I think that's probably my least favourite convention. Yeah. They all have pluses and minuses, don't they? What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given or that you can share with our listeners? Best bridge tip and advice. Well, I always think that this one that was given to me when I was very new to the game, someone was just keeping an eye on what I was doing and they said, Pam, just bid what's in your hand. And I think, well, that's, that's pretty good advice, really. It's, it's quite a hard game when you tell partner what you've got, but if you don't tell them what you've got then uh, makes it pretty impossible, really, doesn't it? Pam, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been terrific. Yeah, thank you for inviting me, and it's been good to um, talk to you both. Really enjoyed it. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Pam Livingston. Thank you also to our sorry partner, Posse, of listener supporters who make the show possible. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris with production assistance from Jade Gray and David Turner. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or send us a voice message. And please consider joining the Sorry Partner Posse that helps keep us on the air, so to speak. Get ad-free episodes and other perks these links and a link to our discount offers and merch store are under the episode description in your app on the website at sorrypartner.com or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next time, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Pam says, bid your hand. It's a hard enough game when you know what partner's got. <laughs> Don't make it even more difficult. <laughs> Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.